all the things that have transpired. Great, great man of God, Dr. Billy Graham. I got the opportunity, had the opportunity of being able to uh, watch his funeral. And I thought about the, uh, the folks that were there and the people so reverence, so, so uh, appreciative of all of his ministry. And, uh, of course, the Church of God was represented there very well. As you know, uh, Vice President Pence is from our church in Indianapolis. And then to have Bill Gaither uh, to be able to sing one of the songs that he's written there, what an honor for the church. And so I encourage you to back your youth. I appreciated that this morning. And I just want to say that it's vitally important that we pray for our young people. God still calls young people to ministry. Now, even though it's been a number of years since I was called, but at 15, God began His work in my life and I began to do ministry. And so I know that God still works with young people. And we need to to encourage them. You need to to help them. And if there's a young person that can't afford, maybe you could come together, four or five of you, and $10 a piece and pay their way to that convention. Because at that convention is where God may speak to the heart of a young man or a young woman that would call them to ministry. And we need pastors today. Many of the those that are retiring, I received and talked with someone yesterday of another church that's now going to be open. We now have five congregations that are open within the sound, really, of this area and needing pastors. And so God needs to raise up some young people to fill those gaps take the place of us older fellows, okay? We need that today. And so we need you to be praying about that. And I believe that God's still in the business of calling men and women to ministry, pastoral ministry, to missions, wherever it might be. Uh, we know that God has not going to fail the church if we just do our part. I thought about this morning of a, of a lady that have visited the church the first time First time she'd ever been to the church, and she, uh, her name was Mrs. Dunn. She decided to visit a new church, and it seemed as she sat down in the pew that the service went on and on and on, and the preacher kept preaching and preaching and preaching, and she began to look around, and she began to see some of the folks with their head down. They were sound asleep. When he finally the service was over, she thought she would be friendly to some of them, and so she tapped the fellow on the shoulder that had been sleeping and said, I just want to tell you, it's been a great joy to be here today. I'm Mrs. Dunn. I'm glad it's done. And he looked up at her and said, I'm glad it's done too. <laughs> well, I, I know I know some of you feel that way sometimes when we get to preaching, but uh, I hope that's not what happens here today. But I want to share with you this morning, because of all the difficulties that we see happening, I, I want to talk to you about how to live in the light of hope. We have a hope within us of a life beyond the grave. And I want to share with you this morning from the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8, and I want to drop down to verse number 18. Verse number 18, 818, and then I want to share just a portion of that scripture with you today. 
Paul is writing and he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to in us. The creation awaits in each in eager, with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 24 says, For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Hope, who hopes for that which he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groans, that words that cannot be expressed. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. Now Paul is saying to us this morning that we need to realize that no matter what sufferings, no matter what we are going through, that God is still working to our good. I'm reminded of the story that is told by uh, late President Ronald Reagan. Reagan tells the story about a, about a newspaper photographer out in Los Angeles who received a call from the editor and said, there's a fire going on out in the hills and we need you to get in a plane and fly out there and take some pictures and then get it back for the evening news. He said, there will be a plane waiting for you. So the photographer got in his car. He headed out to the airport. He drove right out onto the runway, down to the end of the runway. And sure enough, there was a plane sitting there. The engines all revved up. He got in the plane. And they took off. He got up about 5,000 feet. And he noticed, they said, he got out of his seat. He got over and began to unpack his camera and said to the fellow that was sitting in the cockpit, fly me down low enough that I can get some good pictures. And there was a silence. Then all of a sudden, the fellow said, Aren't you the pilot? Haven't we all had that occasions? I mean, times when we're out there, he, 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 this fellow was, was in training. He was waiting, and, and this photographer got on that plane by mistake. Well, you know, sometimes I think we all have those times in our lives. Sometimes the situations in our lives have been uh, going along real well, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something happens, and there's a voice that speaks in the back of our mind that says, Aren't you the pilot? You think you had things in control. Aren't you the instructor? Or you realize you're in trouble? So our text this morning, I want to share with you this morning the, the, the realization that life does not always operate according to your plans or mine. Life doesn't always operate the way that we think it ought to. Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Some of us know about the sufferings of this present time. Some of you know that. And, and there are people right here in this congregation. This last week, a great couple the McCrackens, who have spent their life for the Lord, who had given everything they have to in Brazil. And there he laid in the hospital, trembling because of the infection in that body. You see, the present life 
you would have thought that he would have been protected from all of this. But you see, in this life, we don't understand some of the sufferings that happens. How do, why do, I, how do I understand? All of us have had them. Our family has had them. My wife has gone through some tremendous things in the last few years. We, we all have them. You have too. And so Paul is speaking to us today. He's telling us that sometimes, you know, the glory that awaits us, we don't understand and we don't see in this life yet at this time. I'm reminded of a great saint of God. Old brother George Freed Sr. His son was my associate for a number of years. But Brother Freed was a great man. He loved the Lord. He, he and his wife were active. His whole family was involved in the church, constantly doing things. And, and then in the process of later years of his life, he lost his wife. And in that loneliness and encouragement with other people, he decided to go back to his old hometown. Now, George is an old man. And he goes back and he meets somebody that he don't even know because he hasn't seen her since he was in high school. But he connected. And they married. And the relationship was not good. I remember walking down the hallway, seeing George coming the other way. And as George approached me, I looked at him. He was downtrodden. He, he looked discouraged. And, and I said, Brother George, how are you doing? What, 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 how are you doing in your life? What's happening? And George, you know, that was a statement sometimes we ask in passing with people, but George took me very seriously. So for the next 15 or 20 minutes, he began to unload on me and tell me of all the things that was going on in his life, of all the discouragements. And finally he said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I said to him, George, I'm sorry to see that you're in such a depressed state. How did you get there? He says, it's my problems. Problems upon problems. I thought I had, a, I thought I would, things would work better, but he said it's gotten worse. It's worse than it's ever been. And he said, I just have so many problems. I'm fed up with problems. If I could get rid of my problems, I'd give any amount of money that I have to take care of that. I realized that George was very depressed. He said, Pastor, what can you do to help me? I said, Well, George, you know, yesterday, I was in a place where hundreds of people reside. I don't see any of them that had problems. He said, where's that at? I said, would you like to go? He said, I'd sure like to go. I said, are you sure you want to go? He said, yeah, I want to go. I said, tomorrow I'll take you to Woodlawn Cemetery. Because that's the only people I know in life that don't have problems. Let me tell you, my friend, to live is to have problems. To live in this present world is to have problems. If you don't have them, look out. They're coming. Because I'm going to tell you something. You cannot live in this life without being having some problems. Some are big problems, and some of them are small. But they're problems. Some have health problems. And you're not alone. Sometimes when you look at yourself and you look at other people, you know, there's a way of always looking at the person that's well when you're sick. But look around. My friend, we have hospital, hospital institutions everywhere we look. I drive down the highway coming here. I pass sign after sign after sign after sign of health care units. Why? Because, you see, there's a lot of health problems in this world today. 
You're not alone. You know what? I thought about this. You know, each Christmas and Easter sometimes, we do choirs, do what we call Handel's Messiah. I, I, you know, churches used to have them. I had a big choir in a couple of my churches. And you know what? I want to tell you something. They loved it. And it just, even though that thing has been around for 280 years, it just sends thrills and chills up and down your spine when people do that Messiah. But I want you to know something. You to think that with a man like that, you know, the next time you try to remember that five years before composing the Messiah, at 52 years of age, Handel had a stroke. And yet, he did this. Isn't it comforting to know that people can come back from strokes? Isn't it wonderful to know that there are people that can have cancer and yet can be healed of that and be delivered from that? Isn't it wonderful to know that there are people today that have heart problems and have had strokes and are able to come back from all of that? I think about the advertisements of our soldiers that have been across this country, many of them that have lost their arms and their legs and their feet, and yet they can come back. they got artificial limbs and they're out there doing productive life today. Isn't it exciting to know that? You see, because even though we have problems, we can still go on. Some people have money problems. And that's not a disgrace. Because you know what I read about Mozart? You know, Mozart had money problems. He lived in a one room. He lived his whole life in one room, his adult life. And they tell us that, that while he was trying to write the music, how he was trying to do this, he had no room in that room except the only heat that he had was he'd take socks and put them on his hands and then he'd set on his hands. I know what that's all about. I got a little arthritis. Every once in a while my hand gets to ache and I just set on it. You know what? He sets on his hand. And you know what? It said that he, he had wooden... Uh, socks on his hands to keep him well, well, composing the music that made him so great. Worse than that, he died at 35 years of age. They said he died, he died from declined health because of constant hunger and cold and lack of proper nourishment. And when they did the funeral, there were six people that followed him from that little wooden box that they put him in to take him out to the cemetery. And they said he got about four or five blocks from where they were taking him, and it began to rain, and those six people turned back. You see, sometimes all of us have problems. You see, problems comes to everybody. I don't care who it is. We have health problems. We have money problems. We have family problems like George did. And we have those that are alone and those that are lonely. We have problems at work. We have problems at school. Many of our children, you see all the shootings. I mean, these are problem kids. I mean, they worry about that. They worry about their, their, their peers at school. Those that they'll run into. We're, we're unhappy about our appearance. We're, we're, we, we are hurting with, with a heartache of a broken relationship. Someone that we thought we would spend their whole life with and now it's divided and they've gone and we're, we're hurting inside. There are people that are hurting today. There are those that are grieving over a loved one that they have lost, that they've had for so many years. Some are grieving over children that have died. Some are grieving over a spouse that they lost or a parent or a grandparent. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have problems. 
Now, let me give you an encouragement. My text is not about your problems. My text this morning is not about your problems. It's about hope. It's about having hope. It's about a positive expectation. It's about a God who can bring order out of chaos in our lives. No matter how bad we feel, no matter what's going on in our life, we have a God that's able to help us. He's able to bring joy out of pain, character out of conflict. That's the kind of God that we're serving today. What does this mean? Paul gives us a picture of a world in which there is hope, which we can live, which is well. The good news is you can live in the light of hope today. What does it mean to live in the light of hope? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, it means don't shut the door on possibilities of victorious outcome. Just because you hear the word cancer, don't shut the door. Just because somebody had a heart don't shut the door. Because you don't know what God is able to do in and through either medical doctors or divine touch upon your body. Because I can tell you of a lot of people that didn't and they're victorious today. Kind of reminds me, I don't know whether you realize when I was reading the other day, that uh, at the second Indianapolis 500, I remember as a boy, I, I, I tell you what, that thing was on the radio so long, it was on all day long. And you just walk by and say, somebody said, well, what lap are they in? Well, the, the second Indianapolis 500, 500 laps. I mean, sometimes, you know, it would take day, a day. But it tells about the, the fellow that was running in that Indianapolis, Ralph DePaul. He led the, uh, and within the second lap, he took the lead. And before that race was over, he was five and a half laps ahead of everybody else. He was 11 minutes ahead of the next car behind him. Any fool would have known that Ralph was going to win the Indianapolis 500. Lap number 195, he was still in the lead. But as he made the bend on lap number 126, he blew an engine, a rod blew. But he thought, man, I've got this great lead. I can just clunk this thing along. I'll just clunk it and clunk it and clunk it and clunk it. And he did until he came to lap number 199. And then it locked up. And he stopped. He sat there and watched Dawson pass him, who was five and a half laps ahead of, who was 11 minutes behind him, win the race. You see, never count yourself out. Never think that it's all over. Do never think. You know, we have so many people say, too often we sit back and view situations as if the outcome is already decided. Well, that's just the way it's going to be, preacher. We just have to accept it. That's just the way it's going to be. I hear people say that all the time. But why not assume, my friend, the doctor tells you one person that, that only one out of ten comes from a certain kind of surgery, and in our mind, immediately we think we're going to be one of the nine. Well, you know what? I'm a different type of person. I believe that if the doctor says one out of ten, I'm going to be that one. Why not? Why not? Why should I have to accept the fact that I'm going to be the one that's always going to lose? You see, with faith in God, I can assume that I'm going to be the one person that does make it. Somebody's got to be it. Why not me? Why, why not assume the best? If you don't make it, <laughs> I thought about it. If I don't make it, all the worrying in the world is not going to help. So why not believe the best? 
Why not look for the best? Why not try to have a positive faith with expectation that you just might improve your chances? There's evidence of that. You know, I hear people say it all the time. Well, you know, if only we had a better pastor, we could do this and we could do that and we could do that. Let me tell you something. The pastor is nothing more than the shepherd. You are the sheep. Sheep have sheep. Sheep is the one that's going to make the thing happen. And the more you come, the more work you put on the shepherd. And you ought to make him work hard. You know? But you know what? I thought about this. There's evidence of our body responds to hope and prayer. Sister Louise shared something a couple of weeks ago with us about that. But I was reading not long ago, we know that we can worry ourselves sick. We've been saying it for years, haven't we? Well, you just worry and worry and worry until, until you just become sick. And I got to thinking, well, if we can worry ourselves sick, why can't we think ourselves well? Why not have faith enough to believe that I can do all things through Him who strengtheneth me? I can do everything God wants for me to do if I just simply believe that God is who He says He is. And so I begin to think, it's possible with faith to believe ourselves well. Douglas Steer tells in a book, about an eye surgeon who kept track of this, an eye surgeon to begin to take cases, hundreds of cases, to establish the fact that life's view of the patient affects the way that the surgery goes and the healing time. So this he tells about all these patients that came in, those that came with a view that believed that God was going to be with them, that God was going to be uh, watching over them. He said it took less anesthetic to put them to sleep. And the less anesthetic that it took, the quicker they recovered. And the body began to, to come together quicker with those that had faith and those that believed in prayer and those that would trust God. You know what? I believe today why we need, the doctor study suggests that it pays to expect the best, to believe the best, to pray for the best. I want to tell you something. I want people that's going to pray that God's going to do something in my life when I'm in trouble and need it. I thought about, you know, so many times we, we take the negative side. You know, it's true in life. I, I read somewhere some years ago that Helen Sterner Rice, many of you know her, you've, you've bought her cards, you, you've, you've looked at all of the verses that she's put in them, but do you know that she was told at one time at a young age when she was writing and began to think that she could put these little things in the cards, somebody told her, how it's a waste of time. You don't have enough words. Your words will never, nobody will ever buy them. Well, what, what would have happened if she would have listened to those negative people? She would have never become the person that she was. I kind of like the, uh, the story of the old boy that was his dad taking him to a museum, and there was a picture of Christ. We have one on our wall in one of the bedrooms of Christ standing at the door knocking. Now, a lot of people notice, you know, there's no door handle, and, and they see the stuff growed up around it. But, but you know what? The father was standing there looking, and, and he looked over there, and he said to his son, he said, I just don't understand why. They just don't open that door. That little fellow, he said, uh, it's wisdom. He said, well, Dad, I, I think I know why. He said, well, why would that be, son? He said, I believe they're down in the cellar, and they don't hear them knocking. 
You know what? I think there's a lot of people down in the cellar today and don't hear God knocking. They're living below what their potential is. They're not allowing, they're not listening, they're not watching. And you know what? I thought some of us need to get our minds and our thoughts out of the basement and get them on the hilltop. Hope means, first of all, that we need not to shut the door on possibilities of good outcome. Jesus said, only believe all things are possible. And I'm going to hold on to that. Well, there's a second thing. Hope also means that we don't get our problems, we don't let our problems destroy our character. We don't let our problems destroy our character. You know, there are so many people that, that are just wonderful people as long as things go smooth, as long as things are wonderful, as long as they're well. But you know what? Let a little problem come along, and that person that had such faith and believed so greatly, the first thing you know, they're doubting. I, I like the story. I read a number of years ago by a fellow that wrote uh, uh, a book. His name was uh, Edgar Jackson, and Edgar Jackson had a problem, and, and uh, he had a stroke, and then he came out of that stroke, and when he came out of the stroke, he was a writer. He decided he would go to Vermont, to his farm, and spend the rest of his time just writing. Well, a friend of his, uh, who enjoyed his writing, was running a lot of problems, and so he made an appointment. He said, I'd like to come and sit and talk with you. I'd like to spend a few days with you. And so he invited his friend to come to the ranch, or to the farm. And when he came to the farm, they began to talk about the problems that man was having. And finally Jackson took his friend and said, now let's go for a walk. He said, let's go out to my pasture field. I want to show you something. He took him out to the pasture field, and it was about a three and a half acre plot, and, and he showed him, he said, you see all the maple trees all around the edge of that pasture field. He said, you know, a number of years ago, a fella didn't want to dig post holes. So he decided that he'd just plant maple trees, fast growing maple trees. He planted them around that whole three and a half acre. And then when the trees got to a certain size, he would go out there, he'd take his bulb wire, and he would nail it to the trees instead of putting posts in the ground. He said he'd fence in his pasture field. He said, I want to show you something about this, though. He said, you see, this tree over here is nice and tall and big. He said, you see that nail in that tree and drove in there? He said, that tree took that nail, even though it might have gone into those tender parts of the tree. He said it passed beyond that and just continued to shoot up. He took them about three trees down. He said, you see this tree here? It's kind of bent right there where that nail went in. It's kind of crooked. It never did grow straight. And then he took them to a third tree and he said, you see this tree here? It ain't got any much bigger than it was when he nailed it there. He said, you know what affected these trees? What affected these trees is some, when the nail came, they grew beyond it. They just passed on and let it grow. And then others let that nail destroy them from becoming what they should be. And he said, you know what? That's the way people are. People are like that. When something affects their life, sometimes they let that thing destroy them rather than going beyond it. You know, I hear people say all the time, well, I've got heart problems. Well, maybe they had their heart fixed. 
But they never got beyond the fact that they had a heart problem. We have other people that says, I had cancer. And even though God helped them get through that, and it's gone. Let me tell you something. When people ask me, what about cancer? I had cancer. I ain't got cancer anymore. You see, I'm not going to let that thing hinder me from being the person God wants me to be. I don't know. I could die of another dose of it. But I'm going to tell you something. Right now, it's gone. And I'm not going to let that thing hinder me and be put me in a position to where it changes my faith and my belief in what my God can do. You see, the problem that these people have, some people are like those trees. They, that wire grows around, they're bent and they don't have to. Others are like the, they, they're like the stump tree. They're, they're deformed their lives. Others have difficulty that they can never get beyond it. They're smaller. Some of them are meaner. Some are unhappy. Some of them are unproductive. But I believe that if we're careful in the way that we handle difficulties, in the way that we handle difficulties, now difficulties will come to all of us. I remember a word of advice that came to us. 1993. We were pastoring church. Church was a great church. Wonderful church. Still is today. Had a great ministry. A couple of days before Christmas, our son coming home after working all night, Honda. A big tanker truck hit that car and took him into eternity. It broke our heart. I mean, we thought about it. We, we thought about this thing, you know. I mean, I mean, I passed at a church. We had, we had a youth group of uh, close to 70 kids most of the time. I mean, I went to the hospital many a time of boys that are on motorcycles that almost lost their life and prayed for them. I've been there with kids that have gotten in trouble. I've been there for them. And here it was, all these kids that I helped all those years, and my son was hurtled into eternity. Twenty-five years old. It broke us. I didn't know. I mean, I had a great congregation. They told me, Brother Pastor Troger, you just go do whatever you need to do. Don't you worry about a thing. The associates are going to take care of this. You take all the time you need. But you know what? Through that process, our pastor, we had a pastor. Some of you may have known her. Sister Lily McCutcheon. Her and Glenn came to our house. They sit on our living room. Came a couple of times, a couple of days in a row to comfort us, to help us, to get us through it. She did the funeral. But you know what she said? She said, Brother Gary and Sister Beverly, I want you to know that the whole church world is watching you. How you handle this will make all the difference in the world on how they handle it. How do you handle this? I thought, how can I handle it? What can I do? And so we begin to seek the face of God on how to handle it. I don't know whether we did it right or did it wrong. But I know one thing. We come to the realization that life is short and that none of us are without our difficulties and our problems. I begin to think, you know, there's a lot of things I can do. You see, I'm a jack of all trades, but the master of none. I don't know a lot of things. 
I think I know some things. And I begin to think of all the things I could do. All the things I could do that other than preach the gospel. I begin to think about all those things. But then God kept reminding me, I called you for this job. I said, well, I guess I've got to go back to that pulpit one more time to find out. I begin to pray, God, what can I say? And you know what? I begin to think back. I wasn't in Bell Fountain a year. I came in the winter and in the, the following summer, a farmer of ours in our church was baling hay. And in that old tractor with that baler behind him, some of you know what I'm talking about, just lunged and lunged. He got off of that tractor because the string got tangled in the baler. His five-year-old boy sitting on the fender of that tractor with the noise of the baler and the sound of the tractor, and it kept nunging as he was working on it. And then when he came back to the trailer, tractor to get back on, he realized his son wasn't there. He wasn't on the fender. He began to look for him. And that son had fell off of that tractor, and that lunge had run that big tractor tire over top of him and took his life. I had to deal with that. And I realized... What made me any better than the Hudson family? They lost their son too. I have been there for many a parents that lost their children. And I could know. You hear people say all the time, I know how you feel. Most of the time you don't. But I did. I knew how crushed. I knew how hurt. I knew how it would take them time. It would take them months. It would take them years. Sometimes it would never totally, because I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's been a while, and I'm still not over it. There are still times when I see it and I feel it. There are still times I wonder. The only hope I have is, is to know that there is a better day. You see, we all have problems. And that's exactly what the Apostle was saying when he wrote that Scripture. When he wrote that Scripture and told he said, you know, that, that, that for this present world, we're going to have problems. Bib good cheer, because there are greater days to come. Let me share with you this morning, in closing, a story, a testimony of a pastor. Some of you probably have read didn't even realize his life. L.B. Briggers served as a Kentucky pastor for a number of years. Great man of God, great evangelist, was out preaching one day when the phone call came that he needed to go home. There was an emergency at home, and he went home. When he got home, he noticed all these folks that was greeting him at the railroad station. When he got to his home, his house had burnt to the ground. He lost his wife and his two daughters. How do you recover from that? How, how can you 
when you're out there doing the Lord's work? How in the world can you recover when you've been away winning other people and yet your family is taken completely from you? Fire swept through the home. Now he was alone. He was broken. Tragedy, sorrow, weeping. How do you maintain your faith in that time? And the story goes that he went to the home where the ashes were. Nothing could be saved, but he was standing in the midst of those ashes, weeping and crying out to God. When God impressed upon his heart. And God gave him the words to a song. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. But Jesus swept across the broken strings and stirred those stumbling cords again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Keeps my ever longing, keeps me singing as I go. Wow! I could never be that kind of man. But I know He was. And God continued to use Him. And God continued to inspire Him to preach. And God inspired Him to write music that you and I worship with today. Why? Because you see, He took a different side. That's how it's done. I don't know any other way. All of us have problems. How important it is that we not let close the door too soon and call every situation hopeless. Nothing's hopeless as long as there's breath. With God, nothing is impossible. Regardless of your circumstances, you can go on. Others have done it confidentially, triumphantly, joyfully by the power of Christ. So I say to you this morning, the pain that you may be feeling cannot compare to the joy, to the joy that is coming if you give your all to Jesus Christ. The pain that I have in this life is temporary because there's going to come a day when God is going to lift me out of the pain, out of the sorrow, out of the discouragement, and He's going to lift me to a place where there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I don't know about you, but I want to go there. I, I, I'm, getting my, I, I'm getting my bag packed now. And, and you know what? I don't need a lot in my bag. I've learned over the years, I tell you, when we would go somewhere, my wife would pack three suitcases, and we'd come home, and we hadn't unpacked but one of them all the time we've been gone. We think we've got to take everything with us. I'm going to tell you something. It's limited of what we need to have. We can get by with I'm going to tell you something. The only thing I need to worry about is, is that I've got peace with God and peace with my brother and my sister and that I know, I know, I don't think so, I know that I'm going to face Jesus and I'm going to walk the streets of gold with Him. Don't leave here discouraged. Don't leave here carrying your burdens out of this building. Jesus cares about you. Enough that He gave His Son to die for you. How about you this morning? You have problems? Lay them here. 
You're looking for peace? Bring it here. He's your peace giver. You're looking for healing? Bring it here. He's the divine healer. He has the answer. But you must ask for it. And you must come to Him in order to get it. Let's stand. Father, this morning, You know the hearts and the lives. Better than I ever would, ever could. But Lord, we know today that right here in this building that there's not a person that's sitting in these pews that hasn't had some kind of a problem. Some of them have been able to work through them. Some of them solve them. Some of them have been able to get by. But Lord, there are some here today that might feel that very much discouragement. They're broken. They're hurting. Lord, they need Your touch today. We pray that right at this moment, Lord, as we sing this song, that they would not linger, that they would just make their way out and kneel at this altar and say, Oh, Jesus, I need You today. And Lord, we know that You're standing ready and willing to lift that burden. So, Father, we pray as we sing right now, Lord, that You would allow them. Speak, let Your Holy Spirit speak to hearts and lives. Help them, Lord, to respond today to Your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, you can if we say. You turn to page six.